Welcome to Truth for Transformation with Timothy Brown. Timothy is the lead pastor of Arden First Baptist Church in Arden, North Carolina. Our mission is to lead ordinary people into extraordinary life in Christ. We pray that today's message inspires you to live an extraordinary life in Jesus Christ. Check out our website for more inspiring resources, ardenfbc.com. Now, here's today's message from Pastor Timothy Brown. Good morning, church. Hope everyone is doing well. So good to see so many smiling faces. You guys woke up on the right side of the bed, right? I'm Timothy. I'm one of the pastors here. If you're visiting, we just want to say welcome home. Our mission here is to lead ordinary people into extraordinary life in Christ. And this is a place where you can belong, believe, and become. And you guys came for the perfect service. You know why? A perfect Sunday. We're starting a brand new series called Holy Habits. And over the next seven weeks, we are going to talk about different spiritual disciplines that can revolutionize your walk with Jesus. So we're, we're so excited. We hope that you'll come back again next week as this series will build upon each week. So go ahead and turn to Romans 12. And as you turn there, I want to tell a little story. In recent weeks, uh, I began to have some car problems with my tires. And so Pastor Joe noticed that I had several nails in my tires. And so I'm like, all right, let's just get this plugged. So I pulled over down here on Sweeten Creek. There's a place that plugs tires that have holes in them. So two of the tires needed plugging. So I got, got them plugged. And I thought all was well until people began to make comments about my tires. And they're like, you know, this is, they're becoming bald. It's looking unsafe. You're transporting kids. You probably should have that uh, taken care of. So I went ahead and ordered a brand new set of tires because I do drive a lot. And with uh, equipment and supply chains, all that, it got delayed a week. So I was running on bald tires for like a week and I began to get a little nervous. To make matters worse, my tires became flat, so the plugs weren't working. So every day I had to get a portable air plug, air, you know, you plug it into the cigarette lighter and charge. I have a little video that's going to show you what that looked like every single day. Sometimes I had to do this twice a day. Not very pleasant. All right, we can flip the slide. <laughs> so, and I began to think, how many of our spiritual lives is kind of like that? It's like you are on fire for God on Sunday, but Monday you're running on a spiritually flat tire. Has anybody ever been there? You're like, God, I'm on fire, but Tuesday happens, and that coworker told me off. I get that nasty email, and by Friday... It's like you have all fours are flat, right? And so what this series is going to do, it's going to help bring new revitalization to your spiritual lives. It's going to help you to keep your spiritual life full of the presence of God. So that way you don't feel like spiritually you're running on flat tires or people are making comments. Hey, this is kind of getting dangerous the way you're living because the way you're treating people, if you continue to go like this, it's not going to go well. So today we're going to talk about worship. And just a little preview of Romans 12. It's a, a passage that if you grew up in church, you're familiar with. And normally I would only cover the first two verses. But what I want to do is present Romans 12 in different, different packaging. Because we're going to talk about surrendering your complete life to God. But what does that look like? And what I found out with Romans 12, it's actually a commentary of what that looks like. Verse 1 talks about complete surrender. And that sounds good. But what does that look like? So the rest of the verses 
are going to give you kind of a commentary. It's going to give you a snapshot in what that looks like. And at the end of the service, we're going to do something a little different, which I'll explain in a little bit. So go ahead and open to Romans 12. And welcome to all those watching online. So glad you guys are with us. Romans 12, we're going to read the whole chapter, and then we're going to break this down into what worship really looks like. Start with me in verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So before we read verse 3, I want you guys to get the picture. Verse 1 says, surrender your entire life. Verse 2 says, here's the way it's going to change the way you think. Verses 3 and following, it's going to talk about your thought patterns are going to change, and it's going to change the way you operate in the body of Christ, using your gifts. It's going to talk about how you treat others, and it's going to talk about how you deal with evil in the world. So look at verse 3. For I say through the grace given to me, to everyone that's among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, but all members do not have the same function. So we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another, having then gifts differing according to the grace that's given to us, let us use them. So in verses 6 and following, he's going to mention seven different practical gifts of the Spirit. He says, if prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. And verses 9 and following is going to talk about behavior in the life of the church. If you did surrender your life as a living sacrifice, how does that translate into your relationship with other Christians? Verse 9, let love be without hypocrisy. How many of you love fake people? Said nobody ever, right? So he's like, listen, be real. He says, abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. In honor, giving preference to one another. Not lacking in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. And now we're going to see in verses 17 through 21, if you surrender your life fully to to Christ, what does it look like when people are evil towards you? When someone treats you poorly, how do you respond? Look at verse 17. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If possible, as much as depends upon you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves. Rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. May God bless his word. 
So today I want to give you a portrait of worship. And like I said, most of the time we discover verse one, but I hope you'll see by the end of the message that Romans 12 is really a picture of what a surrender life looks like. That's why we're going to cover the whole chapter today. So today the first portrait of worship is this. Number one, worship is a lifestyle. What does that look like? The first point is worship is a life that's fully surrendered to God and his purposes. Fully surrendered to God and his purposes. So Romans 12 verse 1 starts off with the word. What is it? Someone tell me. Therefore. And whenever you see the word therefore, what are you going to ask? What is it therefore? And I wish we had time and one day, God willing, we can cover the whole book of Romans. But just in 60 seconds. Let's look at what the therefore it points backwards. Romans one through three. Paul lays out the case that we've all sinned and fallen short of God's glory, both Jew and Gentile. We're all in the same sinking ship of sin and we need a rescue. We need someone to rescue us. Romans four and five talks about Abraham. Abraham believed God through faith, not through works. And because of his belief, it was credited to him as righteousness. So there is good news. That God saves sinners who put their faith in Christ. And then we fast forward to Romans 6 and 7 and we see that there was a law that we couldn't keep. And Christ came so that we could be married to him and set free from the law that we can never keep. Now we're under the law of Christ. And Romans 7, Paul wrestles with this. The good that I want to do, I don't do. And the the bad things, it's hard not to do it. And I want to do good, but I'm, I'm wrestling. And he says, oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And then Romans 8 happens. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. We are set free because of what Christ did for us. And that is good news. And then Romans 9 through 11 is the nation of Israel. Has God rejected his people? What's the answer? No, he still has a plan for the nation of Israel. And because God's wisdom is so deep and his love is so broad, who can understand the mind of God? When we look back on Romans 1 through 11, we see how great God is. So now you know what the therefore is therefore. So look at the person next to you. Now you know what the therefore is therefore. So he says, because of God's mercy, the only logical thing you can do is to offer yourselves to God. See, in the Old Testament, the animal sacrifices, they were dead. You know, they didn't walk off the altar. They were dead. They were final. They were a continual reminder of your sins and shortcomings that, you know, you cannot please God in and of yourself. It's going to take something else. In order to get to heaven, it takes perfection. And you and I are not perfect. So what happened is Jesus Christ died the death that we deserve to die. He died completely and then he rose on the third day. And so here's the thing. The New Testament sacrifices are not dead animals. The New Testament sacrifices are you and I laying ourselves on the altar and saying, God, you have all of me. This is what worship looks like. Worship is not just a song that you sing. Worship is not just a church service that you attend. Worship is your life saying, God, I lay my life on the altar. And it's not just the one hour on Sunday. It's also the 167. And you're like, what is the 167? See, if you have 168 hours in the week and there's 167 hours outside of the the service on Sunday, what are you going to do in the 167? What are you going to do in your everyday living, working, breathing For those of you who are retired, what does that look like in retirement life? For those of you who have jobs, what does that look like? 
And I'm glad you're asking that question because Romans 12 paints the picture of what it looks like. So it brings us to the second point. Worship is a mind that is transformed by God's word and surrendered to God's will. So if you lay yourself on the altar's living sacrifice, which, by the way, living sacrifices, you know, the downside, they have a tendency to creep and crawl off the altar. So in order to avoid a living sacrifice crawling on the altar, what do you do? Verse two, it says you've got to be transformed by the renewing of your what? Mine. So here's the sad commentary, maybe not for you, but for many Christians. We are transformed and renewed more by Fox News and CNN, MSNBC, Sports Center than we are God's word. We can quote politics and sports facts and all this. All those have their place. But here's the question. What would happen if we spent the amount of time we do on politics and sports and we put it in God's word? Do you think your life would be different? So Paul says, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. Don't be conformed, but be transformed. In verse three, he says it's going to change the way you think. He said, don't don't be high in your own opinion of yourself, because anything good you have, it's the grace of God. So there's certain thought patterns that you're going to have to lay aside. The first thing is a critical spirit. I've met people in church that they think having a critical spirit is a gift of the spirit. I've never met that before. Right? I've never seen that in the Bible. Here's the thing about a critical spirit. It's kind of like COVID. It spreads pretty fast. So God wants us to take that and say, no, it's not about me. It's about Christ. Instead of having a critical spirit, I'm going to have a Christ-like spirit. I'm not going to operate in the works of the flesh, but I'm operating the fruit of the spirit. Verse three has the idea. It's also a mind of humility that anything good I have, it's because God gave it to me. Anything good in your life, God gave it. You're like, well, Timothy, I have my job because I I'm smart and I work hard and I've, I've, I've done it myself. Well, guess what? If God's not breathing out, you're not breathing in. God's given you the gifts and talents and abilities so we can't be prideful about what he's given us. We have to have this humble mindset. So one of the portraits we have of worship is renewing your mind. And just kind of a preview of the next few weeks. And if you're a first time guest, you came on the perfect Sunday. Next week, we're going to talk about part two. So today we're talking about worship. That's one way to renew your mind. How do I Live my life, worship as a verb, living my life for God. Next week, we're going to talk about Bible study. Have you ever read the Bible and you're like, I don't really know what it means? Like, how do I, how do I read the Bible, understand the Bible, interpret the Bible? Next week, we're going to talk about that. Very practical tips. Then we're going to talk about giving. That when we're fully surrendered, everything we have belongs to who? To God. People argue, should I tithe? Should I give? God wants 100%. He'll tell you how much to give of that percentage, but he owns it all. It's kind of like different mindset. Oh, God, 10% belongs to God. No, 100%. Then we're going to talk about fellowship. The best definition I've ever heard of fellowship, it was like 20 years ago. It was two fellers in a ship rowing together. You're going somewhere. In Baptist circles, if I can tell you a little secret, at least for the men, I can't speak for the women, but fellowship is a bunch of guys drinking coffee and eating donuts. We call that a fellowship. Now, it may start with that, but it should never end with that. Biblical fellowship is two or more people together in unity doing something for the kingdom. Then we're going to talk about prayer. Have you ever struggled to pray like you're praying and you get distracted? Do any of you struggle from spiritual ADD? Anybody? Some of you. So we're going to talk about how do you have a vibrant prayer life? And then we're going to talk about the holy habit of ministry. That God has gifted you to serve 
And that your gift is not primarily to build yourself up. It's primarily to build up the body of Christ. And if you're not serving, you're swerving. And then we're going to talk about your favorite spiritual discipline at all. I say the best for last. How many of you enjoy fasting? So maybe one person in the congregation, right? So every year, for those of you who are just visiting with us, we do an annual fast in January. And the reason we do it is the Bible talks about doing it. And there's so much spiritual breakthrough with prayer and fasting. So that's important. So that's how some of the ways we renew our minds. So this is kind of invitation over the next few weeks to kind of come and think about how do I renew my mind? And if I can give you a little secret before I laid myself on the altar. Now, I knew Jesus as Savior when I was five, but I didn't follow him as Lord. I think the commentary is a lot of Christians, we know Jesus as Savior, but have we really laid our life on the altar like a blank check and say, God, you have it all. I'm not going to, whatever you tell me, I'm going to do it. I'm not going to say no, Lord. Does that really go together, no and Lord? It has to be yes, Lord, right? But if I can give you a little, most of you did not know me when I was uh, pre-surrendered. Of course, my family over here did. But I'm going to tell you how I was. You guys want to hear how I was pre-surrendered? I was a jerk. I was selfish. It was all about me. And... I wasn't really the most pleasant person to be around because the world was, it was all about my world. Don't say amen. My family over here. It was the truth. It's the truth. But when I laid myself on the altar, something changed on the inside. I began to be respectful to my parents. I began to want to go to church. I mean, think about that. A Christian that wants to go to church. Wow, that's a novel idea. I began to want to read my Bible. Wow. But what happens is, when you know Jesus, not just as Savior, but as Lord, your mind changes and you're a different person. The third portrait we see is worship is serving God with the gifts that he's entrusted to me. Did you know that you're absolutely gifted? I'm looking at a room full of gifted people. Look at the person next to you and say, you're gifted. I mean, I'm just, I, I am swimming in a group full of spiritually gifted people. And what we see in verses 4 through 8, Paul has a list of seven gifts. Now, this is not a comprehensive list. We have 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Corinthians 14, other passages. But these are the most, some of the most practical gifts in the body of Christ. These are gifts that we all need. So if you look on your listening guide, we're just going to hit a few highlights. The first one is prophecy. What in the world is prophecy? New Testament prophecy primarily is proclaiming the truth of God's word. This is an umbrella of general speaking gifts. And these are the people, have you ever met somebody that's really black and white? There's no gray. I mean, they tell you like it is and they're straight shooter. Sometimes evangelists can be like this. Our great friend Randy Shepard is very dynamic. He tells you like it is. He's even shared the gospel with presidents of the United States. I kid you not, but he, he's a straight shooter. He's not going to water it down. And that's kind of the, the New Testament gift of prophecy, someone that proclaims God's word with great authority and boldness. So that, that's kind of that gift. We have ministry. Interesting enough, this is where we get our word, our Greek word, diakonos. This is a deacon or deaconess, someone that has the gift of serving. These are people that have the gift of practical helps. Our church, we have too many examples to mention them all, but I think of people like Lucia and Richard that have the ministry of helps. They're helping the church. I think about John Anthony that goes to the shut-ins and loving on our widows and orphans. We, we really care about our shut-ins. 
So this is the gift of people that continue to serve, continue to love. And for those of you who are new to our church, we have elders and we have deacons. Elders are kind of the pastors of the church. These are people that if there was a church that had a need, we could place them down the road in a church and they could pastor the church. That's the spiritual gift of overseer. And we also have deacons. These are the people that are ministry team leaders, that are servant leaders. And as in the life of the church, if you see people that rise up that have the gift of a deacon and you said this person could lead a team, let us know. Email us. In the same way, if you see someone that really has the gifts of an elder, a pastor, uh, we will put them through the process because we're constantly, as this church grows, we're going to have elders that rise up. We're going to have deacons that rise up to, to love on the body, to serve on the body. The, the next gift is exhortation. The gift of exhortation is encouraging others to follow, obey, and serve God enthusiastically. And there's also aspect when someone is not doing what they should do or not living up to their full redemptive potential, they're willing to call it to action. We need, we need people with this gift in the church. I think of my brother in the back, Tom Beck. He has this gift, exhortation. He encourages you. But Brother Tom, when, when he needs to tell you like it is, he will tell you. Amen, Tom? That's a gift. We need that. We need people that help us reach our full redemptive potential. And if we're not being the husband or the wife or the student, whatever we need to be, they're like, hey, they lovingly pull you aside and listen, God's got better for you. I know God's got better for you. Come on, you can do it. And then we have the gift of giving, which this brings up a conundrum. Aren't all Christians to be generous? Aren't all Christians called to give? So what would be the gift of giving? Well, the gift of giving is usually a handful of people in the church. And generally speaking, there are some widows that have this gift that give sacrificially, as Jesus said, the widows might. But often it's someone that knows how to make a lot of money in their business. And they realize that God doesn't just increase your standard of money to increase your standard of living. It's not just for that, but it's also to increase your standard of giving. So I've met people throughout my ministry that have this gift. I still remember at a former church, this guy from Florida, I remember when I was a church planner, we didn't have a lot of money coming in. I mean, it was like, honey, what's for dinner? Ramen noodle, right? It's just like we didn't have a lot of money. And this person said, I'm going to give you a thousand a month, which would help pay our rent. So even if we had two or three hundred dollars in offering, we knew our church rent would be paid. This was the guy that had the gift of giving. And God sends people like that in the church. The gift of leadership. This is a special gift. Think about sheep. They need a shepherd, but they also need leaders that can organize and lead people from where they are to where God wants them to be. I think of people in the congregation like Lee Beeson has this gift. For those of you who know Lee, Scott Whitley in the back has this gift. It's people that see the potential and lovingly will help guide people to reach their potential in Christ. We need leaders. And then the gift seven is a rare gift. I've only met a few men, mostly women, that have this certain gift. Is the gift of mercy. Does anybody have this gift of mercy in the audience? Raise your hand. I see one or two, three hands. It's a very rare gift. It's the gift when someone is hurting, you literally can enter into their pain with them. When someone is sick, I mean, you're, you're, you're just burdened for them. So let, let's paint the picture of how this would look. You're like, okay, this sounds great, Timothy, practical gifts. Let's say John Anderson on the front row. Everyone say, hey, John. He works with people that break stuff and hurt stuff, okay? So this time he breaks his left leg, okay? He, he's in the hospital. He breaks his left leg. So I kind of want you guys to look at your listening guide and, and think how this. The prophet comes in and he's like, John, 
Did you do anything that caused this to happen? I mean, is there anything in your life we should be talking about? Sometimes God will get our attention. And John's thinking, hmm, I don't know about that. All of a sudden, the person that has the gift of ministry comes in. Like, oh, John, the women's group just made you this knitting, this blanket. It's, it's, it has this cotton wool and it's so warm, John. And when that leg starts throbbing at night, John, this, this, this is going to make you feel so well. Thank God. that. And not only that, but we also baked you some cookies, John. That's the gift of ministry. And then you have the teacher that comes in. And uh, Judge Martin's a good example of someone that has a gift of teaching. And Deborah, the, the person that has the gift of teaching, can explain God's word and articulate it and systematize it. But the teacher comes in and they're like, John, you know, I, we don't know why this happened, but how do you think God could use this in your life? Right, Deborah? What, what do you think God can teach you? Sometimes our test can become our testimony. So, what, what is God going to do out of this broken foot? And then you have the person that's the exhortation. Tom Beck comes in. John, I know this is hard, but as soon as you get out of the hospital, think about the lives you're going to impact. John, you can do it. I I want you to come up with a game plan. When you get out of the hospital, think about what you're going to do with your life. And then the person with the gift of giving comes in and he finds out that John is financially strained right now. And he or she contacts the office administrator, the finance department, and says, how much does John owe on this bill? Ten thousand dollars. Wow, that's going to be too much on John and his family. You know, he's got a family. He's got a child. That's just too much. So he writes a check and all of a sudden they say, John, someone anonymously has paid your bill. And then they give the check that they do through the church and it's to help pay for a nurse in home care and meals. And John's like, wow, my bill's paid. That's the gift of giving. And the person that has the gift of mercy just comes down and sits right next to John, excuse me, John, and they say, John, I'm just so sorry. I know this is hard. I remember two of my kids broke their legs, and, you know, you're going to get through this, John, and just we're praying for you, John. I've called the, the prayer chain, and we're here for you, John. Just, just know that, and they pray with John. So that, that's, kind of, that's kind of how it works. And see, folks, when we lay ourselves on the altar as a living sacrifice, our minds are changed but also we realize the gifts God has given us is to do what? Build ourselves up or to, to build others up. Amen. All right, let's throw point number four up. Worship. What does worship look like? Worship is living my life like Jesus in my relationships with others. So I wish I had time to go down the list. But in verses 9 through 16, he lays all these action verbs out. Before we go into that, I want to ask a question. How many of you want to have better relationships than you do now? Everybody. Well, let's flip it. How many of you want your relationships to end in failure, your marriages to end in divorce? How many of you want to have bad interpersonal relationships? How many of you want people to say that you have horrible emotional intelligence? Nobody, right? So what I want to do, I'm going to give a list of 12 and don't let the list overwhelm you. But what I want you to do in this 12 list that Paul lays out, I want you to think about your top three that you need to work on. Because when you look at 12, it's overwhelming. Like, wow, Paul, you really laid it out there, right? But think about three. I want you to start your top three that you need to work on. And here's the, here's the truth. If you begin to put these in practice over time, you will have better relationships in the body of Christ and also in the secular world. So who's ready to look at the list? All right, let's do it. So he lays out in these verses 12 actions. The first one is to be kind. 
Some of you could have that on your bumper sticker. Instead of honk if you love Jesus, be kind if you love Jesus, right? Show kindness. The next one is be holy. Despise what is evil. Something I appreciate about my upbringing, my parents, I grew up in the holiness movement. And they talked about what it's like to live your life as, as holy unto the Lord. And there was great emphasis on your lifestyle. So here's the thing I want to lay out. We are saved by grace, but we're also sanctified by grace. So all these things, if you're like, ouch, realize it's by grace God's going to sanctify you. Some, sometimes you just need to pray and ask for help. Run towards that which is good. Sometimes I want to speak to my college and singles and high school students. Sometimes, here's the big question if you're a youth pastor, next-gen pastor, how far is too far? That's, that's the wrong question. It's not how close can I get to sin without crossing it. It's I'm going to run after Jesus. I'm not going to see. I want to run from sin, not see how close I can get to sin. So think about that. that. That's changing the way you think about that. Practice honoring others above yourself. Now, in the church life, one of the biggest challenges with any church is, is whatever style of ministry, that's not my preference. I don't like the style of preaching. I don't like the style of music. But Paul says, honor, put others above yourself. So this may not be my style of music or preaching or whatever if you come visit. But is it reaching people? Is it honoring God? In, in all these ways, put others ahead of yourself. The fifth aspect is be so on fire for Jesus you don't have time for idleness. It's been said that in the average church, a lot of new believers have to backslide in order to fit in with the congregation because everyone's so lukewarm. It's not true of this church, but the idea is to keep your spiritual fire. You should be so on fire for, for Jesus. People are like El Fuego. This guy, is, this girl's just on fire. I mean, they're, 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 their passion is contagious. So be on fire. Be on fire. Have a positive attitude towards even the difficult things in your life. Many of you came with broken hearts today. Many of you came with heavy hearts that life has not been fair to you. People have been cruel to you. Some of you, your spouses have walked out on you in your life. Some of you have suffered divorce. Some of you have lost jobs. Some of you have had major health issues. And it's really hard to show kindness in a world that's very unkind. But Paul tells us to do so. He tells us to be kind even to others that aren't. Number seven, let prayer be your daily lifeline to God. Notice that it talks about prayer, continuing steadfastly in prayer, verse 12. What would happen if, if your life was not just started with prayer every day, but it was a conversation throughout the day? Number eight, get good at helping others, Christians, and loving strangers. That's the idea of hospitality. When's the last time your eye let people in her house, even though it was messed up? And for those of you who are like, your house should not be messed up. You don't have kids right now, okay? It's like, when's the last time you opened your home and you entertain people and you love people and you showed them what Christian community is like? This is where Paul is going. If, if your life is a living sacrifice, it's going to impact others. Number nine, be a blessing even with difficult people in your life. How many of you have someone difficult in your life? Let me give you a new uh, acrostic to think about. It's called EGRs. Does anybody know what that stands for? Extra grace required. EGRs. So in the EGRs of your life, extra grace required, realize that hurting people hurt people because they themselves are hurt. Nasty people are nasty because they've been treated nasty, right? 
So you have to pull yourself back and reframe it to say, the reason why this person is doing it, I'm not taking it personally, they're hurting because they themselves are hurt. And it helps you to change the way you do that. Ten action that Paul gives us, celebrate what God is doing in the lives of others. Notice it says, rejoice with those who rejoice. If your identity is found in Christ, you can be happy when others get the promotion and you don't. What's really hard, and I've heard women talk about it, is like sometimes people get married and they're still single. And that's a challenge. You know, why am I the only one not getting married? You know, and those are those are pain points. But realize if your life is a living sacrifice, it's no longer about me. It's about God. It's about others. And it's hard But you know what? It's part of living your life as a lifestyle of worship. Enter into the sorrow of a fellow brother or sister. When's the last time you wept with those who weep? When's the last time you shed a tear? And most of us don't, if we're honest, is because we're just so busy. We're so busy and occupied, it's hard to cancel plans that you've made. It's hard to make plans to go to someone's house and just sit down and be with them when they've lost a loved one, when, when they're hurting. I know this is something I struggle with. I, I've got plate full of opportunities with, with the church and with wife and five kids. But you know what? I'm called to as well as you are. We all have to take time to those who are in need. And be humble and you will avoid the stumble. Look at the last part of verse 16. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things. But associate with who? Associate with the humble. I've said this in weeks past, but I bring it back to this point. I've heard some people, they'll visit this church and they're like, Timothy, I, I, I like your church. I like what God's doing at this congregation, but I'm going to go to the church down the road because there's people more like me. And I'm like, well, what do you mean? Well, I have a lot of money and the church down the road, it's all wealthy people. And I want to go where I can fit in. How, how would you respond to that? <laughs> People actually tell me that. And what Paul says is, if you're in the body of Christ, don't always go after the rich and the famous and the popular. Who did Jesus hang out with a lot? He hang out with the low of society, right? He hang out with the people called tax collectors and sinners. So here's the thing. There's places to go around people just like yourself. There's clubs and sports and country clubs. Those have their places. But the church is where rich and poor come together. The church is a place where people from different ethnicities come together. It's a place where young and older, rich and poor, those who have it together, those who don't, those who are healed, those who are hurting, we all come together because we share the same Lord. Amen. So don't, Paul's like, don't think on your high horse that you have to hang out with people just like yourself. You can learn from people not like you. Because if you hang out with everyone just like you, what do you have to learn? They're just like you, right? But if you hang out with different people, people that are hurting, you can learn. You can learn from everybody. So what will this do? What will this do if you start living your life like this? This is a lifestyle of worship. If you live your life for the love of God, but how you treat others, people made in God's image. You know what that does? It changes your life. And God views your life as a living worship service to him. Now, I want you to think about that concept. We think of worship as a song we sing or service we go to often. But what would it be like if your life was a living, breathing worship service to God. Wouldn't that change? Wouldn't that change the way you live? 
I really believe if you guys will just digest this text, I know there's a lot of verses, but at the end it's going to paint one picture you guys will walk home with, is that God wants you as your only logical response to lay yourself on the altar and say, God, I'm going to change the way I think. I'm not going to be too prideful. I'm I'm going to lay that aside. I'm going to use my gifts to build up the body. Verses 9 through 16, I'm going to have good relationships in the body of Christ by how I treat others. And as I said, don't let that list overwhelm you, but pick the top three from that list. What am I going to put in action? And finally, the final worship portrait. We've had five portraits today. Worship is invading the darkness in my world with the light of the Lord. Look at verse 17. He says, repay no one evil for evil. So here's the thing. You have three options. How many of you, three options when someone does wrong, how many of you, someone has done you wrong recently? Anybody here? Most of you, right? Maybe on your way to church. You have three options. And before I tell you what the three options are, I want to tell you a story. And I finally got permission from my wife to, to give this. By the way, she's home with, with two sick children today, so pray for her. But the, the options, they're going to be three. But my wife had this, this lady that really got nasty with her. For those of you who don't know, my wife has a home business. Uh, we raise dogs. And she had this lady that just got vicious. I mean, she went like AWOL, toxic, going off. And my wife's like... What is the deal? And I would give you more details and all that, but that's not the point. But basically, she just went vicious, and she told my wife off for no reason. And then she 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 went away. And then when she came back, she asked for like a favor. And if it were me, I would have told the lady what I thought. Okay, I'm just being honest. With you. I'm not as sanctified as her. Part part of the downside of being a communicator, right, Deborah? You let people know what what you're thinking because you can. It articulates through you. But my wife, she did better than I would have done. She didn't respond initially. She prayed for the situation. She, she kind of gathered the kids and said, listen, we're going we're gonna to respond. Instead of responding by evil with evil, we're going to respond with good. And I, I learned a lesson from my wife. The three, the three responses are this. The first one is payback. You respond evil with like kind, evil with evil. So if your goal is to overcome evil, if you add more evil, you just have what? More evil. Two wrongs never make it right. So the one is payback. The other one is to be overcome by the evil. Like you're just a doormat. People run over you. And some of you have more of a passive personality, and that's okay. But part of having a passive personality, you let people run over you all the time. And you, you quote scriptures like turn the other cheek. But this, this scripture may change your mind about you do turn the other cheek, but you never let evil run over you. You never let evil run over you. So what is, what is the right option? Instead of payback or being a doormat, the Bible says you overcome evil by doing what? By doing good. Instead of returning in a like kind, instead of responding naturally, you respond supernaturally. So what I want to do is kind of draw this into one picture. I said at the beginning, Romans 12, normally most pastors, myself included, would cover just the first two verses. But what I saw was a different portrait of Romans 12. It's a picture of the surrendered life. So let's review, and then we're going to summarize in one big truth. The first point we talked about worship is worship is a life fully surrendered to God and his purposes. So here's the question I want to ask you. Have you surrendered to God fully? Now, I'm not asking right now for the believers, do you know Jesus as Savior? But do you know him as Lord? Like, have you literally laid your life on the altar and said, God, I'm no longer going to say no Lord? That's a paradox. Whenever you say, Lord, it's always, yes, Lord. And the second point of worship 
is worship is a life that's transformed by God's word and surrendered to his will. So am I letting my mind be renewed by Fox News, MSNBC, CNN, Sports Center, or am I letting my mind be renewed by God's word? Ouch. I know that's hard, but I've got to tell the truth up here. Number three, we talked about serving God with the gifts he's given you. So if you have a spiritual gift, and all Christians have at least one, if you're not using them, here's the question, are you really surrendered? Because part of the picture of a surrendered life, Paul gives us, is you're using your gifts to build up the body. Remember the hospital illustration with John. Are you using your gifts how God's wired you, and we're all doing it differently? Number four, we talked about living like Jesus in your relationship with others. I love verses 9 through 16. He lays out such practical things. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. What is that? That's a picture of a surrendered life. You have good relationships in the body of Christ. And finally, we talked about invading the darkness with the light of the Lord. When someone does evil, instead of returning in like kind, you respond overcoming evil by doing good. So let's throw the big idea on the screen. And I have some uh, sheets of paper here. The big idea, and I'm going to explain what these are. The big idea today is worship is offering your life like a blank check as your only loving and logical response. So if you forget everything I said, we covered a lot of verses. I want you to remember the blank check. Let's put the blank check up here. In your bulletin, your worship guide, we have these blank checks. And this stack I have is from the first service. I just was given this stack and I'm kind of blown away. We, we had a really uh, amazing first service, and people blew me away by filling these out. And they, they signed their names. And what I want to do as we close in prayer in just a moment, and we'll have some announcements, is I want you guys that are Christian, if you know Jesus as Savior, but you're not following him as Lord, Paul has painted a picture through Romans 12. And this is the invitation to be a Romans 12 Christian. The people knew Jesus as Savior. Now Paul's saying, I want you to offer your bodies as a living, breathing act of worship. So if you've never done that, what we're going to do is ask you to tear them off. And when we close in prayer, before you leave, I just want you to lay that on the altar. There's no pressure to do this. It's the only logical response for all that God has done. I'm going to ask Richard to come up and play. And I'm going to close this in prayer. And we're just going to have a little bit of music before Miss Deborah comes and And closes this out. But I want you guys to think all that God has done for you. Look no further than the cross. If you have never, like I did when I was 14, saying, God, I give my life. This is your day. And this is the day that can change your life. If you've already done that, if you just want to sign your name, you've done it. It's just it's just a reminder. It's a reminder of renewal. So if you'll close your eyes. We're going to sing one final song in just a moment. First of all, I want to talk to the believers. If you know Jesus as Savior, but you've never surrendered as Lord, and we we talked about what that means. I want you to say this prayer. Jesus, I'm sorry for holding back for so long. Today's the day I surrender. You have all of me, and I'll never say no, Lord, again. I will always say yes, Lord, to whatever you say. Go ahead and tell them. And go ahead and fill those out as we're praying. Now I want to talk to someone that may be a seeker, someone that may be just visiting, that you've never made a decision of Jesus as Savior. You've heard the gospel today. 
that Jesus Christ died for your sins, that he rose the third day. And if you will place your faith in Christ alone and ask for forgiveness, the Bible says Jesus wipes away your sin. He gives you a brand new life. Is there anyone today with no one looking around that say, Timothy, I need to give my life to Christ today. Just slip up your hand. I want to pray for you. Anyone at all. If you're listening online, please message us. If that's you today, you've never surrendered. I want you to say this prayer. The Bible says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Say this prayer right where you're at, where you're here or in your living room, in your car. Say, Lord Jesus, I believe. I believe that you died for me. I believe that you rose again. And Jesus, I place my faith in you. Today, I choose to follow you. Jesus, I pray that you would forgive me of all my sins. Step out of heaven and into my heart. Change me from the inside out. I choose to follow you as Savior and as Lord. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's children said, Amen. As we have the final song before the closeout, if you want to lay those on the altar, the altar is open for you to lay them down. Respond as the Lord leads.